Today on The Ticker Tapes, we hear from Rachel, whose shock diagnosis of coronary heart disease led her to make some major changes in her life. Well, I describe just as much as I have to you. Any exertion, elephants on my chest, pain in my arms, pain in my throat, really hurts. And she seemed annoyed. And she said, well, with a story like that, I've got no option but to refer you to a cardiologist. But look at you. You haven't got heart disease. You can't have. From the British Heart Foundation, I'm Molly Tresiden. And on The Ticker Tapes, we hear from people living with heart and circulatory conditions. On this episode, Rachel talks to me about what it's like to receive a heart disease diagnosis before you're 40, and why being young, fit and female meant it took her months to find out what was wrong. Rachel, could you start by taking me back to when you first started experiencing chest pains and tell me a bit about what your life was like at that point? Mm. Well, I suppose there were two start points and it wasn't chest pains that was, was the start of things. The first thing was I had difficulty breathing. So I would I would be talking and I'd have to, if we'd been talking now, I'd have to catch my breath a bit and I knew something wasn't right and... So I went to the doctor, referred me to a general consultant who diagnosed me with an incredibly rare virus called Bornholm's disease. And I just was said I had to just rest. So I woke from home resting, waiting for this catching my breath thing to go away. And it, it kind of got a bit better, but that was kind of mainly because I wasn't doing very much. But then it, it I sort of had the summer working from home and I, I needed to go back to work and it hadn't really gone. And it was when I went back to work and was walking and getting the tube and going to the gym that the chest pain really started. And at that time, I was a partner in a law firm in the city and I had quite a, a full-on job, if you like. And, yeah, a normal working life that was very very busy and what happened with the chest pain was it started to shut down my life it's strange when things happen slowly I think we can close our lives down we just gently navigate around it without necessarily realizing so I would for example get the bus up the very gentle hill home because as I started to walk the, the pain would come in my chest so I didn't want that to happen I thought well, I'll just get the bus. And then gradually it started. It wasn't just pain in my chest. It was pain down the insides of both my arms and the tightness, a, a kind of gripping around my throat as well. And really over the period of two months or so, it went from a pain in my chest to feeling like I'd got an elephant sitting on my chest. And when I finally went to the doctor, that, that was how I described it. That, you know, if I do anything, even walking home, I feel like I've got an elephant sitting on my chest, pain in my arms and and the tightness in my throat. Yeah. So it's maybe like that that story about when you heat up water with, if a frog's in cold water and you heat it up gradually, they, they don't notice. But if you jump into boiling water, if I'd started yeah. straight with that, um, if you jump into boiling water, you notice it straight away. Mm, yeah, I was thinking of that. And yeah. so so what was the actual catalyst for going to see the doctor? Well, it was my friend Louise. I've got a lot to thank her for. And she just said to me, look, you're not right. 
you really should go to the doctor. I was like, I don't want to go. And all those things that's difficult. It's hard to get an appointment. and I've got to take time off work. And I think there was a part of me that just didn't, you know, didn't want to know that anything was wrong. And she said, come on, we've got the same doctor. She said, I'll go if you go. Uh, so that's what finally tipped me to, to make the appointment. And so then what happened at that appointment? Well, I described just as much as I have to you. Any exertion, elephants on my chest, pain in my arms, pain in my throat, really hurts. And she seemed annoyed. And she said, well, with a story like that, I've got no option but to refer you to a cardiologist. But look at you. You haven't got heart disease. You can't have. Because I was 37 at the time and pretty fit. I went to the gym regularly. I did yoga. I was slim. Um, I had a good diet. Buddhist. I meditate. You know, all those boxes, tick, tick, tick. I didn't look like heart disease, Mm. either to her or to me. But thank goodness she said they're all they're on at us at the moment to to about women and heart disease. I have no option to but to refer you. And uh, I had private medical at the time, and so she gave me the name and number of a cardiologist. And it actually took me. I was quite annoyed after that appointment because I I felt like she didn't really believe me, and that it was you know oh you don't really have to go, but here you go. But it didn't get any better. So after three weeks, I did actually make an appointment with a cardiologist. And and that's when they really started to investigate the heart situation. And did you believe the GP? Did you did you say to yourself that this couldn't possibly be heart disease? Yes. Yeah. So you almost yeah. felt like you were bothering the cardiologist by making an appointment with them? Yes. I had to be, oh, this is pointless. You know, there's something else wrong. This is point. How can I possibly have heart disease? I was very influenced. There was a BHF advert. I don't know if it still runs of an older guy with a belt around his chest, and he's obviously overweight and sweating. And I, that was my image of heart disease: mm. an overweight old man. Mm. And that was nothing in my identity. You know, I'm a fit younger mm. woman uh so yeah I didn't I did I uh I didn't believe it at all and then what happened with the cardiologist well the cardiologist obviously looked at me and said well I'm very you know it's very unlikely to be heart disease <laughs> but we'll give you a stress echo and so everyone's reassuring me look at mm. you it can't possibly be heart disease and so I went for this stress echo where they put all the sensors on you and then you go on a treadmill and the nurse said you know, just tell me when the pain starts to come on. So I was walking, all right, pain comes on and the needle shot off the scale and he ran out of the room. He said, get off there quickly. And I went in to see the cardiologist and he got the printout. He said, well, this is a positive result. He said, but 30% of Caucasian females throw off a false positive. So we think that's probably what it's going to be because look at you. Uh, and it was it was December sort of early December. He said, there's no rush, go home, have Christmas, and we'll we'll look at what, what to do next in the new year. So even with a positive result, everyone's saying, ignore it, ignore it, because look at you, you can't possibly have heart disease. Yeah, yeah. So you went home and had Christmas? I didn't actually. Okay. No. I was getting ready for, it sounds very old fashioned now, it was a partner's <laughs> lunch. 
I was very, uh, the law firm that I was at, so I was putting my nice dress on and I was anticipating going for this big Christmas lunch. And I'd started to feel worried. I started, and I was going, I, I was going to ring him. I was going to ring the cardiologist and say, I think, could we do it before Christmas just to get it out of the way? Mm. And I was thinking about that and the phone went and he said, are you at home? And I said, yes. He said, could you come to hospital now? He said, I think we should take a look at you. So I didn't actually go to that Christmas lunch. What I ended up was being having an angiogram where they put a camera, I think it's yeah, a camera through your groin up and and they look at your heart. Like I literally go into it and look at it. So that's what happened that day instead of Christmas lunch. Yeah, and and so you've gone from you can't possibly have heart disease, you can't possibly have heart disease to you have to come in now. Yes, yes. What, what had made them decide that you suddenly needed to come in? Well, I, you know, I'll thank my cardiologist forever because he he just had a premonition. He had a feeling. He had his guts. You know that wiser instinct that we tune into, and he he just woke up with that gut feeling of I need to see her. I think the mind discounted because I so didn't look like heart disease. But then his instinct kicked in one morning and he, was, he just had this strong gut feel that this needs to happen quickly. Mm. Mm. And, and I'm probably still alive today as a result of that gut instinct that he had. So you're lying there having the angiogram and you're awake throughout that procedure. Yes. Um, and, and what happened? What did he say? Well, there were expletives, I remember. He said, oh, my God, there is a massive blockage. We're going in now. And I remember the the atmosphere in the room really changing and it just being so rapid. You know, they, the, the machine kicked into action of we're going in now. It wasn't what he'd expected to see, but it was a massive blockage. Mm-hmm. And you can see it. You know, this is the strangest thing of being awake and seeing inside your own heart. You can see the image on a screen. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And it was 98, 99% blocked uh, at the start of the, um, call it the widow maker, the left anterior descending. Mm. And they went in, put a stent in. He explained what he was doing and in it went. And the instant it went in, it was like flicking a switch. It's like, oh my goodness, that feels better. Because it's mechanical. You know, it's a blocked pipe, open the pipe up, and it flows. Instant. We're not used to that, are we, with most um, mm, mm, illness? Yeah. But this was flicking a switch. It's incredible. Yeah. But that moment is very strong. And, you know, it's a moment of trauma, of looking back where, in a way, my whole sense of myself and where my life was really turned on its head. Yeah. Mm. Were you able to go back to work fairly soon after that? Were you, what was the recovery like? Yeah, I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Because it's instant, so you yeah. are you are better. It was a bit painful get, getting the all the way they'd gone in and everything. And I was in hospital for I don't know a day, couple of days, and then you get a, I got a sheet that said if you have a manual job, take two weeks off. If you do not have a manual job, you'll be ready to go back to work in a week. Wow. That felt a bit soon for me. Yeah. Uh, but I did. Yeah. And I was in the middle of my um, 
equity partnership application. So it's the final promotion in a law firm where you actually start to own the law firm. You know, you, you're the upper tier of partner. Mm. And I was in the midst of that application. And I remember speaking to the head of the firm and the head of corporate from the hospital and telling them that I'll be in in a week and talking to them about how we're going to manage this. In other words, the sort of PR of the what's happened to Rachel announcement, because it was deemed to be, we all, I mean, we didn't even have to talk about it. We knew we needed to manage the uh, the PR of this so that there wasn't a question over my ability to cope with the promotion. Right, yeah. So you couldn't go back in and just discuss with your colleagues the fact that you'd been diagnosed with heart disease? No, goodness me, no, no. So we, I don't remember what we said. You know, just had a, a minor heart problem and, you know, sorted out. But now it was sorted. Yeah, yeah. So that, that was a bit surreal. <laughs> were there many people that you were able to talk to about it outside of work as well? Do you know, Molly, I don't remember. I presume so. It was a bit of a blur. Mm. I was really struggling with assimilating just the facts. Mm. You know, I, slim, fit, 37-year-old woman, had had a very serious heart disease. And, you know, I had a good diet. I exercised. I had no history of heart disease in the family. And it all I can tell you is I felt very isolated. And I... Yeah, I'm sure people people were very kind and well-meaning, but I was struggling to understand it myself, mm. and I felt I felt very alone. Mm. Yeah, I felt very very alone, and that was that was a big problem in in the months to follow of the confusion and um, yeah, just confusion and puzzlement and anger and upset and all the thoughts of what could have happened and why has this happened to me, my model of myself and you know, what's wrong with me? Am I, am I, yeah, you know, what have I done wrong mm. to get this? It was, was isolating me from others, I think. Mm. And in a way, that's why I want to do this and, and contribute to the British Heart Foundation and, and be part of this community because I think it would have made a huge difference to me to hear about, um, have contact with, or or just see that I'm not a weirdo. Mm-hmm. You know, I've not done something terribly wrong. This can happen. And there are reasons for it. Yet, you're not so unusual. Mm. You're still, you know, you're still very much a woman. You're still very much healthy. But this one thing has happened to you and perhaps there are changes to make. So to feel that it's so important for us to feel like we're part of a community and there are we're not alone. So it was that aloneness that was really hard. Mm-hmm. And were, did the cardiologist give you any sort of rationale or reason for why this had happened? No, no, because there are set reasons for heart disease and I didn't really fall into any of them. Mm. So it went under the category of unknown um, genetic component. Mm. So there wasn't a history of early heart disease in my family but they said, well, you must have it somewhere because that's the only area that it fell into. And it did start a kind of quest on my part for understanding more, which did lead me to, to some conclusions that I, I feel are really do fit for me, 
which was very much about the culture that I was in and feeling isolated. Uh, and there's a really brilliant book that helped me a lot called The Heart Speaks, which I'd recommend to anyone who's touched heart disease in any way, which talks about the emotional and stressful stress components um, for heart disease, which are very common in young people who don't have any other risk factors. Mm-hmm. And that really helped me to work out why, which is such a big question for for all of us in life, I think, and to start rethinking what I was doing with my life. Mm. And you think that the why was related to the work that you were doing? Yeah, I do. I do. And it wasn't so much the lawyer work, that, and, and that would be the assumption it would be easy to go to, which is being a lawyer is stressful. It, it wasn't so much that. It was more the, the culture components of the organisation that I was in and how isolated I was. You know, we're talking oof, 15 years ago now. So it was a, thankfully, it's really quite a different environment. But I was a woman in a senior leadership position and very isolated. You know, most of the meetings I went into were all men. Mm. And particularly as I went to the board meetings or higher up meetings, it was all male. And the culture within the organization was also, uh, it was American law firm. It, it could have been improved, um, <laughs> put it that way. And, and that can lead to the isolation, which is a strong, strong factor in heart disease. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But until the point that you started getting these symptoms, do you think you were aware of that isolation? Or do you think you were just kind of working through it? Sadly, I think I was just working through it. That was my normal. Mm. You know, we get used to things, don't we? Mm. And and that was how life was to me. I wouldn't say I was particularly bursting with happiness at that point in my life. But yeah, that, that was just my normal. I knew that work wasn't a comfortable environment. I knew it wasn't very collegiate. But that was how it was. You know, mm. maybe that's just how, how, how work is. Mm. And so I accepted it. And to me, it is literally heartwarming to work in this area now, helping companies and firms improve their culture, bringing in tools where where people can really connect with each other, have difficult conversations rather than avoiding it and isolating, which I think can happen. And that's what's been worrying to me through, particularly worrying through the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Great, everyone's working from home and that, that can have some benefits, but the isolation that comes with that and the the separation of of people and colleagues and and that atmosphere i think it is quite worrying mm. so your diagnosis ended up being a bit of a, a turning point for you in in making this realization yeah huge huge i, I remember one of the associates who was about to get made proud partner Oh, he was moved. He moved to another law firm. He was trying to get me to move there. He said, "You know, you're finished there. You're finished. You've taken time off. There's no way that you can. There's no way you'll you'll progress." And the, you know, so that 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 question was still hanging over. But I'd I'd helped, been part of the setting up the mentor network in the in the firm, mm-hmm. and I'd so loved that, in really helping the younger lawyers to come on and. And I just thought, wow, this is such important work. 
And at the same time, I was doing a lot of self-development myself on my own journey of, of recovery, if you like. And that was really calling me as, wow, this is something really worthwhile to spend your life doing. And so after a couple of years, it took me two years to really face up to walking away from, you know, I put a lot of time into building mm, my legal yeah. career and I'd got right to the top. I was head of a department. I was an equity partner. I was earning amazing money. I had a whole team. I was traveling around the world. It was, you know, I had a lot going for it. So it took me two years to get up the courage to, mm. to leave and say, actually, I, I want to work in organizational culture. I want to help people communicate better and jump off and, and start a new career. Yeah. And did you start your business straight after leaving the law firm? No, no, I didn't because in my notice period, I got pregnant. And so I had my son who is now 11. And so I did, it was a, it was a gradual transition. Yeah. I did it much more gradually because he came into my life. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, the the diagnosis and everything that happened, that's, as you said, that's 15 years ago now. Yeah. Looking back on it now, do you have any any particular reflections or things that you think that you've learned from it? The big one, which I did, the doctors did, the consultants did, is prejudging and not listening to your deeper instinct. And I'm really interested in any reports that come out about this. There was one recently about this happening in science and how scientists can, when they have a, a, a preconception or an existing model, they actually ignore the data and they stick with the original model. And it's very, very hard to get them to notice the data and move away from their preconceived model. And so what I really try and do now is watch out for my pre-existing models of life and, and pay attention to the data and pay attention to my body and, and just be curious and, and open to what life may present or what symptoms I may have and, yeah, and, and be in touch with reality not my wished reality, my ideal story of my life, if you like. Yeah, because this is this is what you were saying about the whole problem of people don't think about the chest pain and all of those other symptoms and immediately think it could be a heart problem. They look at you and say, you're a young woman, even though you have these classic symptoms, it can't possibly be a heart problem. Yeah, don't be silly. Yeah. No, no. I told my my best friend is um, a consultant and we went out for dinner and I, I said, Tony, I'm really worried. I've got these symptoms. And and he couldn't take it seriously either. Mm. And he said, darling, you know, come on now. You're probably not as fit as you used to be, are you? I was like, oh, you're right. You're right. I just need to go to the gym more. <laughs> and and I thought, well, this is it. You know, I'm, I'm in denial. I'm getting old. I'm 37. Come on now. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> oh, it's laughable now, but it's the start of the decline. <laughs> this is it. This is it. This is old age coming on. And what I did is I doubled down. I went to the gym more. Yeah. And the pain was so excruciating when I exercised that I I did I switched from aerobics and step and all that kind of stuff uh, to doing aqua aerobics. 
because I could cry with the pain and it wouldn't matter because I was in the pool. Hmm. I was literally in tears of agony with the chest pain. And then there was a moment where it would break through and apparently something happens in the heart where it gets into a crisis and then things go in different channels. I I don't know the technicality of it. But yeah, (laughs) literally is what I did. It's insane, isn't it? Yeah. And I was interested in you saying about, you know, your your image of somebody suffering from heart disease came from an advert that you'd seen from the media. And do you think there are any better representations in the media now of women and heart disease than 15 years ago? I think it's better. I think it could still improve. Mm. And it's still the number one cause of death for men and women in the UK, right? And I, I think even that fact people are surprised by. I think it's the number two now. Is it number two? That's fantastic. Yeah, I believe it's, okay. um, I believe that Alzheimer's and dementia is number one. Okay. Mm. Well, maybe, it's, you know, it's weird to say it's fantastic, but maybe it's because of the advances in, in stent technology and diagnosis. So it's right up there. And even... I think a lot of women might be surprised to know that. Mm. I still think it's perceived as a largely elderly and male affliction. Mm. So it's improved, but but I still think it could it could be better. Mm. And how how are you doing now? How's your heart health? Is it something that you still think about or worry about? Well, that's a very topical question, Molly, because (laughs) I actually did a triathlon on Saturday. Uh, so it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I do think about it a lot more than I would, you know, I generally let on. I had a bit of a teary moment on Saturday morning as the worry of what if something happens to me? What if I shouldn't be doing this? What if this is too much for my heart? Um, it just hit home and the nerves of doing a first triathlon, things like that. Mm. Obviously, brought out that pain but it it's there I can't get life insurance and it really hurts that no insurer will take on my life I can't do anything I can't exercise enough I can't there's nothing I can do they'll just look at my medical history and say you're uninsurable right and that hurts Mm. and that's what I was saying on Saturday morning it's like well no one will insure me I shouldn't do this maybe this is too much and so yeah, it's always there. Mm. But I do a lot, you know, I, I stay really fit. And um, and it was it was marvellous on Saturday, actually, because and this sounds really, my friends joke because I'm so competitive, but um, I overtook people on the run. And it's not about, I haven't even got my time yet, but it's not about that. It was just about, yeah, I'm I'm the same as everybody else. I'm doing well. You know, I'm okay. And, you know, it almost, you know, I can feel the, the emotion coming up now and, and the euphoria that I felt when I crossed the line of like, I've, I've got it back. I've kind of rescued the situation. I'm, I'm mm. okay. It was, it's, it's really joyous. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Because I think one of the things about heart disease, and I imagine especially having it as a young woman, is it can really change that sense of self. Yeah. And who you think you are. Yeah, the identity piece is enormous, mm. absolutely enormous. Who am I? And I, I did actually have emotional problems. I, I had a lot of complications after the stent went in. 
because I was on an anti-clotting drug and I was obviously a premenopausal woman, so I lost so much blood and then I got really anemic and then I got C. difficile and so I was in hospital having blood transfusions and on, you know, trying to get rid of the C. difficile, so I was incredibly ill and that wore me down and then plus the emotional thing of the identity and I got really very depressed and took six months off work to Mm. really try and recover myself and um yeah the identity piece was who am I who am I now I'm I'm an old man I'm a young woman what what, what's going on where's where where is my place here and I I actually renovated my flat and rebuilt the flat and completely reimagined my life as it were and that was part of my recovery Mm-hmm. to to find my my new identity and and heart disease is a big part of my identity it really is it's my story and i'm i would never wish for it and I, one of my teachers is seriously ill and she talks about this with her illness i would never wish for it you know get offer it to me a million times and i would say no mm. but it has brought me immense gifts you know a humility a gratitude a career change, an understanding of what's really important in life, hmm. but also a fragility. You know, I, I am, it's a fear, you know, really. I want to live healthy and live well for, for a long time. And I'll, I'll take the insurance companies on in, in their betting <laughs> against me. I, I'm going to bet for me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and it sounds like you're in a really great place now. I really am. You know, I have a wonderful life now. Sometimes I just can't believe how how lovely it is. You know, I've got my lovely boy. Um, I have a job that I absolutely adore and I feel is an authentic expression of of my abilities and my experience to help to help people be more connected at work. Hmm. And not only does it help their health, but it also helps the business as well. Hmm. Because I, I I particularly love work with teams and uh, taking teams that have a dis. Often most things that are called teams are not; they're just groups of people who are working together. But when you really have that team feeling and people are looking out for each other, then performance goes through the roof. As does fun, as does happiness, as does connection, and I'm sure health. Be hard hard to measure that one, but I'm sure that that all the stuff that I know from the emotional component of heart disease that it would do, it'll do wonders for people's health. Mm, Yeah. And what would you say to somebody else, particularly another woman who finds themselves in a similar situation to what you've been through? Find others, find, find a community, find people to talk to and give yourself time. You're not alone. You're not alone. And, and the urgency I think is in taking steps to really get that you're not alone. And, you know, I'd be very happy to to help anyone or talk to anyone in that situation. And, and we all would be. It opens us. I mean, it literally opens our hearts. So so I would say that's absolutely number one. Mm. And and start opening yourself to what 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 it can bring you. Yeah, because it's not it's not without its gifts. That's great, Rachel. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Oh, that's my pleasure. Thank you, Molly. As Rachel's story shows, women are more likely than men to delay seeking help when they experience the signs of heart disease, 
so it's vital that everybody knows the symptoms and acts on them. There will be a link in the show notes to our pages on women and heart disease on the BHF website, where you can learn more about this and about the heart disease gender gap. If you've got any questions about your heart or circulatory health, you can call the BHF Heart Helpline and speak to a nurse between 9 and 5 on Mondays to Fridays on 0300-330-3311 or email hearthelpline at bhf.org.uk. Thank you for listening and join us next time on The Ticker Tapes.